Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Heavenly Father, we do call on you this morning, Father, as we look to your word. Father, we, uh, we utterly are dependent upon you, Father, to teach us, uh, to lead us, to guide us, direct us, to, to apply this word to our hearts. So, Father, we come together in one voice and we look to you, Father, depending upon you uh, to open up your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. So, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, this morning we come to the conclusion of our study in spiritual warfare. I thought perhaps we would, we would go one more Sunday after this morning, but, uh, you know, the, the, Solomon says there's a time for everything. There's a time to start. There's a time to finish. I feel we're at the time to finish. And... I think this morning we can do that. There'll be, there'll be one thing that is kind of left unaddressed, but that's okay. Um, we, we, we return this morning really in verse 18. Uh, we'll be looking primarily at the second pass, the second half of verse 18 to the end this morning. But before we get there, uh, we're mindful. What have we been looking at? We've been looking at Paul's final exhortation in Ephesians. He tells us in verse 10 to be strong in the Lord, doesn't he? To be strong in the Lord. We need that message every day because we obviously default to trying to be strong in ourselves. So we need this message every day. We need to have this on our heart. We're to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? In the strength of his might, yes. We're to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And last week, when we first started looking at verse 18, uh, I spent a little time making a connection. You'll notice in verse 18 the word praying at all times, if you're using the English Standard Translation, praying at all times. And I pointed out to you that there's a participle there that uh, really is uh, dependent on verse 14. I don't think we should look at prayer as a seventh piece of armor. 
nor do I think we should see verse 18 simply as an extension of verse 17. But instead, there's a grammatical connection between praying and verse 14, the, the command to stand. And I pointed out to you that when the Apostle Paul says stand, therefore, he's not making a suggestion. He's not saying that it would be really nice if you all would just stand. Or here's an option you might consider. You might consider standing. It's, it's a command to stand. And the idea of praying at all times is very much connected to that. And I mentioned last week that there are two participles in verse 18 that we need to consider, that we would only be considering the first one. Uh, so this morning we come to the second one. Now, in the English Standard Translation, the second participle is not immediately obvious to us. Uh, and that's, no, um, th that's nothing against the ESV. In fact, the ESV does an, a marvelous job of uh, transcri uh, transcribing the uh, second participle with the phrase, keep alert. Uh, notice that in the second half there. To that end, keep alert. Now, uh, some of you have King James translations, and if you do, uh, you have the word watching, I do believe, in the King James. Watching, that's a little easier to see. You know, you got, you know if you remember anything about, about ninth grade English, you remember the participle. I don't know really what it is, but it's that thing that ends in ing. If you see if it has an ing in it, put down it's a participle, we'll probably be in good shape. Uh, uh, so there, keep alert doesn't really make that as obvious as watching does. Yeah, but keep alert, nevertheless, is a very good translation of the original. So, and again, this participle is connected to the command to stand. Now, I'm not taking you through this just to give you a lesson in grammar. There's a, there's a point here. We saw a powerful connection last week to prayer. What is the connection in prayer and all of this? Prayer is how we put on the armor. And we, we could study all of this and go down to verse 17 and say, okay, that's the end of Paul's metaphor. That's the end of his, uh, his analogy, if you will. And we can just wrap it up in verse 17, which I noticed in my perusal when I was sick, uh, was it last week? I think a week before, I don't remember. That I was kind of looking around on the internet at different, you know, series that pastors have done. And I, I noticed that a number of series went from verse 10 to verse 17 and they seem to stop at verse 17. Now I didn't listen to all these. I didn't have time to listen to all these or the energy to listen to all these. But I sure hope that verse 18 was brought into this. Because it would be really tragic if it isn't. Why? Because verse 18 teaches us how to put the armor on. We can learn all about the armor but we need to know how to put it on. Amen? We do it by way of prayer. I'll give you a quick example from my own life how this works. When I was really first cognizant of the fact that I thought I was being called to pulpit ministry, I was quite scared about that uh, for many, many reasons. One is I was afraid of getting in front of people. I don't really want to do that. I was the kid in school who, you know, when I finished my lunch, uh, I, I didn't even want to stand up. I waited for all of the people I was eating with to stand up so I could blend in to take my tray back to the back to the cafeteria. I didn't like that. I really did not want to be in front of people. Very kind of shy and nervous. I didn't like that. One of the things that got me through early on when I first started was Jesus' promise. Listen, His promise in Matthew 28, I'm going to be with you always. He tells us to go and preach the word to all 
the nations, tribes, tongues, and languages. And then he tells us, the important thing that he tells us there is, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you always. And that's what I took. That was the belt of truth that I put on when I, when I went up front. All right, Jesus, if you're going to be with me. We can do this. And it's something that I would, be, I would do well never to forget. So that's one application. How do we put the belt of truth? How could I have done that without praying? How could I have done that without asking him? How could I have done that without praising him for his promise of being with me? It simply can't happen. Does that make sense? Do you kind of see how that works? Now, we come to the second participle, which we will, we'll, I'll toggle back and forth between calling it watching and keeping alert. You know, these two things are, are kind of hand in hand. But before I do that, I want to show you a couple of things just by matter of housekeeping about verse 18. Notice that the Apostle Paul says, praying at all times, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, for all the saints. Notice that the word all is used four times. Sometimes when you're reading literature on this passage, you'll, you'll see a, a subdivision that says the four alls. That would be one real natural way if you wanted to focus on verse 18 in one message, if you will, or in one lesson, you could say, okay, we got the four alls of verse 18. You know, we, uh, and we looked at two of those alls last week. The division that I want to use this morning really is going to be the idea. I want to pick up at the participle in the second half of verse 18, namely watching. I want to pick up with watching and persevering, if you will. See that? We're to keep alert or we're to watch with all perseverance and make supplication for all the saints. So there's a, a really easy division here that we'll use this morning that's really watching. That'll be the first thing we look at. And then pre, uh, persevering will be the second thing we look at. And then interceding will be the third thing we look at. Does that sound simple enough? Let's start with watching. You know, once you start seeing this, once you, once you start catching on that the biblical authors are calling us to watchfulness, once you start catching on to that, you start to see it all over the Bible. In fact, it, it appears in all kinds of different ways throughout all scripture. And with that in your mind, as you read your Bible from this point on, you know, you're going to begin noticing that there's all kinds of calls to watchfulness. I mean, the Apostle Paul calls us to watchfulness. Uh, Peter calls us to watchfulness. But our Lord also calls us to watchfulness. Yeah, you don't need to turn here. I mean, you can if you want to. But in Matthew 26, in that famous passage of the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, we're all probably familiar with that passage it's the night that Jesus uh, will be arrested and he has just enjoyed what we call the last supper with the disciples and they've moved on from there and they've come in verse uh, Matthew 26 verse 36 they come to this place called Gethsemane and Jesus says to his disciples sit here while I go over there and pray and verse 37 Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and what? Watch with me. Notice that Jesus is saying watch. He's not saying watch for me. He's saying watch with me. What is Jesus doing? 
He's watching. He's watching. Watch with me. Verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Uh, it just in, by, by way of passing. Uh, here, here Jesus is not only watching, he's watching prayerfully, but one of the purposes of prayer is to bend our will to the will of the Father. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here, isn't it? This isn't, you know, I'm kind of thinking this thing through, and if there is some other way that we can accomplish this, I'm all ears here, but if this is the only way, then not my will. Your will. He's bending his will to the will of the Father. That's submission, that's surrender, as he keeps watch. Then verse 30, or verse 40, I'm sorry. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so... Could you not watch with me one hour? And then verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not watch. Enter into temptation. And here's this idea of watchfulness again. Uh, you need not turn there, but we have another. We have many more of these, but I'll share one more with you in Mark this time. Mark 13. I think it's around verse 33. Um, verse 32 Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Now, that's the, the day of Christ's return. Uh, verse 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Now, here we don't have the word watch, but we have this idea of being on guard, and we have this idea of keeping awake. And that speaks very much to the decision that the ESV translators make in verse 18 by saying keep alert keep alert you know when you're driving at night and you're tired uh, it can be very dangerous why because as we get sleepy we become less what less alert you know we can even fall asleep and crash uh, so this idea of keeping alert keeping watch uh, this idea of keeping awake staying awake all kind of gathers this whole idea of watchfulness. Now we go back to uh, verse 18. I brought something with me this morning that I find to be very, very helpful. This is uh, one of the four volumes set. It's a, a systematic theology that was written uh, probably in the early 1700s by a, a Dutch Reformed pastor slash theologian named Wilhelmus of Brackel. I first learned about him when I was in seminary in the systematic theology class. I remember Dr. Gamble bringing up uh, Wilhelmus of Brackel and he had some quotes from him and I was, I was so taken by the quotes that after class I went into the library for about 40 minutes and spent about 40 minutes or so with one of the volumes of this set and God blessed me a few years back they, went on sale and I secured a copy of these for myself. Uh, this, this volume, Abraco wrote this for his congregation. He didn't write this for the ivory tower and it's, it's, it's filled with sound theology but the practical application that he makes and the pastoral application that he makes is really practically unsurpassed. And he has a chapter in his fourth volume on watchfulness that is really, really helpful. I just want to read a few passages of it uh, for you. He says that spiritual watchfulness 
consists in watching over our soul in a careful and circumspect manner in order that no evil may befall her. Spiritual life is a precious and desirable treasure to the believer. That's, that last sentence is really something where I think we ought to stop and think about that. Spiritual life is, a, is precious. What's he say? It's precious. It's a precious and desirable treasure to the believer. You know, do we treasure our spiritual life? You know, I mean, um, you know, some of us are really into exercise, and, and by, by way of this application, I'm not picking on you, nor am I suggesting you shouldn't be into exercise. The Apostle Paul tells us that exercise is of some value. Remember the word some. He says it is of some value. But the danger that we face today by our culture is that all the effort is put forth in the body. The body. And as we think about watchfulness, let us first think about how do we, do we value the spiritual life? Do we value the spiritual life that Christ has given us? The spiritual life that he had to go to the cross and die in order to, uh, to accomplish for us, in order to make available to us. Is our exercise regiment more important to us than the spiritual disciplines? It's a question we need to ask. See, this is the idea of watchfulness, the practical example. Again, don't think anyone, I'm, I'm, it's just something that came to my mind this morning as I was thinking about how I was going to, how I was going to uh, develop this point. There are numerous examples, one from my own life. I always have to ask myself, you know, I enjoy playing guitar a lot. And I have to ask myself, listen, do I enjoy playing guitar more than I enjoy communion with God? Painfully, there's been times where I think I had to, I've had to say, you know something, this guitar needs to go in its case for a while because I'm getting into it too much. It's the idea of spiritual watchfulness. We can have hobbies, but you've got to be careful with them. And especially with exercise and different things, playing guitar, we've we got to watch that vanity doesn't creep into our hearts either because it's very dangerous and can you know, uh, we've got to watch. Um, Abrackle continues to go on. He says, spiritual life is a precious and desirable treasure to the believer, far excelling the entire world and all that is in it. It has many enemies which lie in wait for it, uh, not to be a partaker of it, but to destroy it. They hate it. A Christian is therefore diligent in preserving this life. Keep thy heart with all diligence, which is Proverbs 4.23. Now, the, the believer knows the value of that life and is acquainted with his, his enemies and their activities, loves this life, is desirous to preserve and increase it, take care that it is not injured, and is thus circumspect, circumspect and always be on guard if there's danger approaching from elsewhere. And then Abraco continues after that to really give three, three basic things that we should keep in mind with spiritual watchfulness. And the first thing I thought... I thought it's so amazing. The first, thing, the first thing that he writes down is not the first thing I would have written down. The first thing that he writes down is that we need to be spiritually watchful to the work of the Holy Spirit in our soul. Now, I wouldn't have thought of that. And namely, the work of the Holy Spirit in giving us light, giving us comfort, and giving us strength. So watchfulness involves 
again, it's prayerful watchfulness. And as we think about praying to put on the whole armor of God, we need to be watching for the light. Hopefully we're receiving light right now as the passage of Scripture is being opened up to us. If the passage of Scripture is being opened up to you, if you're coming to a greater understanding of this passage of Scripture, look, look, look to what's going on. The Holy Spirit is working. He's working in your heart. He's enlightening you. And Abraco is saying, listen, part of watchfulness is looking for this. It's exciting. You know, it, 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 it will cause your soul to abound in joy. Other times when we need comfort, looking, calling on God for comfort. Well, I need a shield. Putting on the shield of faith. That these darts that are being flying off me, they won't penetrate me anymore. Asking for comfort. But Brackle says, listen, as you pray to the Holy Spirit, asking for uh, comfort, look and watch and wait and see that you don't receive it. And as we look for strength, we need strength to do these things, don't we? You know, we think of verse 10. Finally, be strong and in the strength of His might, right? Put on the whole armor of God. We look for strength. So that's the first aspect. Looking for light, comfort, and strength. The second aspect is looking at your soul as to what pours forth out of the soul. That would be in thought, word, and deed. You know, in terms of the words that come out of our mouth, what does Jesus say? Where do those words come from? They come out of the heart, don't they? So spiritual watchfulness involves watching the heart. You see, that's where we got to catch these things. We catch these things at that at that level. If we let them fester, if we let them boil over, well, guess what? They're going to break loose, and we've all experienced that, haven't we? So he's saying we watch, that second aspect of watch. You know, we watch against temptation. You know, as temptation happens, it, happens, it begins to happen in the heart and the mind, doesn't it? And if we let it go, uh, then we're through, aren't we? If we let it go, if we don't get it there, we're done. Now, the third thing that he brings up is watching for what enters into the soul. That's probably where I would have started, actually, if I was writing this. Watchfulness in terms of what enters into the soul. You know, I'll use myself as an example. I mean, having uh, played guitar for so many years, I mean, and enjoying it so much early on, you know, we didn't really know what we were playing. We, we liked... We liked the music. We played it. We never really understood the lyrics that were being sung. And as I came to faith, I realized that probably most of that stuff isn't something that I really should really subject myself to any longer. And I kind of moved away from that to a different category of music, thinking that it's, this category is okay. But as I've grown in my faith, I've, I've come to evaluate these kinds of things in a different way. You know, Philippians 4.8 helps us with this evaluation. You know, you don't need to turn there, but I would write down Philippians 4.8. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.8, he says that uh, uh, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And it's a good way to guard our heart with that verse. And the way I have been really looking at music uh, for some time now is, what effect does it have on me in terms of my hunger and thirst for God? Does it have any effect on me? Does it have a numbing effect on me? And there is music out there that I'm speaking for myself 
there's music out there that has a numbing effect on me. Especially the music that really uh, causes me to think so much about the, the musician himself. Um, and I'm, I'm not necessarily applying, I'm applying the principle to you, but I'm not applying uh, my own struggles to you. You have your own struggles, but we can apply this in all areas of art. This can be applied to literature, romance novels, some of those novels, really? I mean, should Christians be involved in that? Should we really be? Really, you know the answer to that question. And we need to guard our hearts. Movies is another example, you know. And the movies are dangerous, actually. I mean, I'm going to sound like some old, some old fogey here as I go, but I'm going to tell you it's true. There's a, there was a friend of mine that I worked with a number of years ago. He called me into his office one day, and he said, Rick, I got this problem. Maybe you can help me with it. I was attending seminary at the time. He said, I watched this movie, and if I named the movie, I'm not going to, but if I named it, probably half of us have probably seen it. And he said, you know, there's scenes in this movie that are so graphic. He goes, it's just affected me in such a way I can't get it out of my head. What do I do? Well, it's already in there, isn't it? You ever watch something and wish you've not seen it after you did? There's a Bible school song that goes something like that, isn't it? Little eyes, watch what you see. Did I got it right? Little ears, watch what you hear. Some of you could probably sing it and do all the moves and everything, but I've forgotten that a long time ago. It's so true, isn't it? Is our spiritual life precious to us? If it's not, then don't worry about it. Just do whatever you want. But if it's precious to you, you're injuring it with these things. I mean, the devil has designed these things. Bertrand Russell, I think it was said, said, listen, you know, you, you give me the music and the movies of a civilization and I don't care who writes its laws. You know, a lot of theology in our society is coming from music, it's coming from movies, it's coming from these things. And I realize I sound like an old fogey and I guess that's okay, I'll be an old fogey. But I'll tell you what, you will benefit if you apply these principles. Look, call on the Holy Spirit. Call on him for his light so that you can see and understand. So that he will work in your heart in order to will to work, in order to will to do this. Call on him for comfort. Call on him for strength. Watch your soul for what comes out of it and definitely guard what goes into it. That spiritual watchfulness. Does that make sense? Back to verse 18. The Apostle Paul calls us to keep alert or to watchfulness, or watching with all perseverance. With all perseverance. Uh, the word there, uh, proskuteresis, is a word that uh, means really this unrelenting uh, perseverance. We might, uh, some of us who have been around in this ministry from day one uh, can probably relate to this. You know, we have, a, we have been laboring at planting this church for the last eight years uh, with perseverance. Uh, there's been times where we've wondered, okay, where is this thing going? Uh, but we have refused to say no. We've ref we've, this is what we believe God has called us to do, and we're going to persevere through it. We're going to plow through it. It's this perseverance, that's, that this watchfulness, this praying watchfulness is to be done in that kind of a spirit with this perseverance. And that's why I, uh, I asked... Uh, you to read with me in Luke 18 and 
And some of you may have saved a place. In Luke 18, we have the parable of the persistent widow. You know, Jesus tells this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, we're to persevere in prayer. And then he says in verse 2, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. Now this judge didn't give a rip about her or justice or God or anything else. Jesus makes it very clear of that. But because of her persistence, all he really thought about was himself. He just wanted rid of her. If I give her what she's asking for, she'll go away. And that's what he does. And Jesus very masterfully uses that to develop a principle. As God's children, we need to come to our Father with prayer, but we don't go to him once and then leave. If we haven't got what we've asked for, then we persist. We continue on. We persist in the matter with this perseverance. Now, let me say one thing about this before we move on. Every earthly father and mother uh, who is godly understands that we cannot give our children what they want every time they want it immediately now. Because if we do, what happens to our children? Oh my goodness, they become spoiled rotten very quickly. They want it, they want it now, and they will become perseverers. They will persist in asking and begging and they'll, they'll learn how to push buttons and they'll push every button that they can. They're marvelous little salespeople, aren't they? But a parent knows, I mean, a godly parent knows you can't give in to all of these things. If you do, you're going to make a mess out of the child. How much more does God realize? He can't give us everything we ask for right when we ask for it. Sometimes there's going to have to be a delay. Oftentimes there's going to have to be a delay. And, you know, it's interesting that the testimony of many mature believers who have walked with Jesus for a long time, 50, 60, 70 years, some of them, will say, you know, in the times when God wouldn't give me what I was asking, you know, during those times where I had to persevere sometimes for dozens of years, and, you know, I've got to say that I think I got more out of the wait than I got more out of the answer of prayer. I guess what we need to do, I think, is to learn somehow to delight in the wait. Learn to delight in the wait. If we ask the Lord for something, and he doesn't give it to us. It's not because he's mean. It's not because he's, he's just withdrawing his goodness from us. It's for our own good. And he'll give it to us. If it's something we should have, he will give it to us in the appropriate place. And some of, us, some of, our, some of our leading prayer requests, our deepest prayer requests, is the salvation of our loved ones, isn't it? But we want that to happen right now. And in many cases, it doesn't, does it? But there are stories after stories after stories. I'm thinking of one person. I forget the name of the individual, but he prayed for his daughters for his whole entire, their entire life he prayed for them. And he lived a godly life before them, but they'd never really come to salvation. They had all of the information, but they'd never come to salvation. And he died not seeing them come to faith. But he, he prayed through the whole course of their lives, asking the Lord to save them. And you know, it was at his funeral when they were preparing their funeral, preparing his funeral. They all got together and said, you know, it was really important to dad that we come to faith. 
I suppose we probably ought to do it now. And it wasn't until he died that they came to faith. His prayer was answered. Isn't that amazing? Spurgeon used to say to people, say, listen, you pray for your loved ones. Don't stop praying for your loved ones. A father, a father will probably save them. We can't guarantee that. But he probably will. Pray for them. He had this expectation about him that it kind of scares me a little bit. It kind of scares me to say that a little bit. Maybe that's something I need to work on. But this expectation, you know, I, I was talking with a, I, I had a, when I had my music store, I had a, a customer. If I mentioned his name, some of you would know who, you, who he is because he was a, a great football player uh, many years ago. But he uh, got to be really close to him. And he, he said to me, he said one day, he said, I'm going to take you down to, down to Wellsville. I want you to meet my dad. Uh, my dad just came to faith in Christ, and he's pretty excited about Christ. And he goes, I waited. I, you know, when he first, he goes, listen, you've got to know something about my dad. He never went to church. He never went anywhere. He never did this. You know. But, man, he, he's just, that's all he talks about is Jesus. It's so exciting. I want you to meet him. And I went down, and I met him. The man was probably close to 80 years old, about 80 years old. His wife had prayed for him for over 50 years that he would come to faith. He did. Sometimes the wait is pretty long. We're called to be persevering. And back to verse 18, we're called to be praying and watching with all perseverance making supplication or intercession. One more head. I won't take long on it, and we'll wrap this up. Making supplication or interceding. As we think about all of these things, as we think about watchfulness, as we think about light, comfort, and strength, as we think about uh, watching what comes out of our souls, guarding about what comes in, let's be mindful. We each need to do this, but let's be mindful that our brothers and sisters in the Lord each need these graces. It is our job to pray for each other. Notice the four alls here. We're called here in verse 18 to pray at all times. When should we pray? What time should we pray? All times, all seasons. We're to pray with all prayer and supplication. With what kind of prayer? All kinds of prayer. Okay? To that end, we're to keep alert with all perseverance. And we're to pray for some of the saints. All of the saints. John Stott commenting on this passage. He says, you know, uh, we have to admit that really we have taken the word all out of here and we've put some in there. We pray some of the time with some types of prayer, with some perseverance for some of God's people. But we're not called to do this some of the time. We're not called to do this with some types of prayer. We're not called to do this with a little bit of perseverance. We're not called to do this for some of God's people. We're called to do it for all. For all. Each one of us needs these graces. And as we are watchful in our own soul, what's coming out of our own soul, we also need to be watchful of what's coming out of our brothers and sisters. We need to be watchful of what's going into them as best as we can. And I'm not suggesting that we get become, you know, neb noses and such like that. Don't, don't, don't go there. 
but let's keep an eye on each other in love. Does that make sense? And notice what the Apostle Paul does in verses 19 and 20. He does something absolutely amazing. He asks, and also for me. The Apostle Paul is asking for prayer. He doesn't think that he's beyond it, that he's some kind of super apostle, super Christian that doesn't need prayer. He knows he needs prayer. But notice what he says. He says that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Who was more bold than the Apostle Paul other than our Lord Jesus Christ? And he's asking for prayer that he might have the words. He's the guy that wrote Romans. He's the guy that wrote Galatians. He's the guy that wrote Ephesians. He's the guy that wrote all these all these letters that we, that we call Pauline letters, and yet he is asking for words. Very clearly showing who he depends upon. He depends upon the Holy Spirit. His dependence is upon God. God is the source of, source of his strength. And he's asking for boldness that he may declare boldly as he ought to speak. I, uh, I think the most immediate there's an application for all of us here, but I think the most immediate application is to the pastor. And I am not a bit bashful by saying, listen, I need your prayers. You know, I've been asked to preach the message at an ordination service this coming Saturday, and it's exciting. I've never done one of these. They don't come up that often. And I'm excited about it. But one of the things I want to say to this congregation, not only is this man being ordained to pulpit ministry, but he's being installed in this congregation. And one of the things I want to say to the congregation is, listen, sometimes there's a complaint that, you know, we're not being fed. Sometimes there's a complaint, well, I'm not being fed. Well, um, if we ever come to a day where we're not being fed, what should we do? We should pray. Because chances are good we haven't been praying for some time. See, I need, your, I need your prayers in order to speak boldly as I ought to speak. I need your prayers for light. I need your prayers for comfort. I need your prayers for strength. I need your prayers for protection against uh, the wiles of the devil. I need all of this. I can't do any of this without you. you know, Spurgeon, as we're talking about him, he has a, a quote here that drives this home better than I ever could. Spurgeon writes, he says, the sinew of the minister's strength under God is the supplication of his church. In other words, the strength of the pastor is in the prayers of the church. We can do anything and everything if we have a praying people around us. But when our dear friends and fellow helpers cease to pray, the Holy Ghost hastens to depart and Ichabod is written on the place of assembly. Ichabod means the glory has departed. I'll read that again. When our dear friends and fellow helpers cease to pray, the Holy Ghost hastens to depart, and Ichabod is written on the place of the assembly. Years ago when I was doing ministry at the Columbiana County Jail, I, I noticed I was doing ministry also at a local church, and I would preach at the local church, and every other week I'd go out to the Columbiana County Jail and without exception, without exception, the strongest services that I would lead that day. And there was many days where I would do uh, one in the morning and three in the afternoon. I'd do four services that day. Without exception, the strongest services were always in that jail. 
And I always wondered why that was. I wanted to analyze that. I wanted to understand that. Why, why is that? And then one day, some uh, women asked to talk with me. And when I went out to talk with them, they shared with me. They said, you don't, you don't understand. They were wanting me to come out every week. And I just physically couldn't do it. Uh, there were other people going out there. I physically couldn't do that. It was, it was too much. Uh, but they said, they said, it's a long two weeks. We actually take and we check off X's on the calendar waiting for that week. And there was my answer. Why were the services so powerful? It's because there was this longing and throbbing for God's presence. And it taught me a lesson that I've never forgot. And, and I've shared it with some of you. Some of you I've shared this story with. It's the role of the congregation. You, you have an important role in our worship services. Don't think that if one of you is missing, it doesn't affect us. It affects us greatly. Uh, we need every single one of you. It's all caught up together. Does that make sense? Spurgeon continues. He says, what, what can we do without your prayers? They link us with the omnipotence of God like the lightning rod. They pierce the clouds and bring down the might and mysterious power from on high. Then he says, this is very, this is very motivating. He says, the Lord give me a dozen importunate pleasers. That is, a dozen uh, persevering prayer warriors, if you will. He says, give me a dozen of these prayer war warriors, lovers of souls, and by his grace we will shake all London from end to end. He was only asking for a dozen. And with a dozen, he said, we will shake London from end to end. Spurgeon, the ministry Spurgeon was part of, did shake London from end to end. He's probably one of the most quoted pastors today in conservative evangelical churches. A hundred plus years since his ministries, uh, uh, since leaving this earth to be with the Lord. So you see, your prayers are powerful. So one last comment here: We're to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great teaching that we've enjoyed in Ephesians 6. We thank you, Father, for all of the things that we have learned, the things that we have gleaned, the changes that you have made in our hearts. And we pray, Father, that you would impress these words this morning, the words that are helpful that, Father, you would impress upon our hearts, that, Father, you would press your word uh, upon our hearts in such a way, Lord, that we would see the need of persevering prayer and watchfulness and intercession. So, Father, we pray that uh, there's more than a dozen of us here. Father, we pray that, Lord, uh, you would indeed equip this church uh, to shake the upper Ohio Valley. Uh, so, Father, we pray these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.